Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman, and for the last 30 years, I've been helping people learn to love and be loved better. Welcome to the Language of Love Sessions. This is where I get to work with you one-on-one, on air. You, my listeners, my goal in these sessions is to empower you to enjoy better relationships, both with others and with yourself, and to help you embrace how precious and sacred your body, your love life, and your sexuality really is. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. Amanda, what is on your mind? How can I help? Laura, I'm going through some changes in life, and and a lot of it is just heavy, really heavy, and just trying to discern the nutrients within it all, because sometimes it just feels hard to organize when you're going through the thick of it. But I recently got out of a rehabilitation center for my alcohol abuse about a year and a half ago, and that was just the, the starting point for some big work that had to be done. So I'm trying to remain steadfast and not only staying with my sobriety and my recovery, but also having to uncover years of the things that I was having to numb out. So that's where I'm, I'm currently at. It's just in the thick of things. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations, because that's no small feat, a year and a half of sobriety. That's a lot to be proud of. How old were you when you started drinking? Not very healthy relationship with alcohol. I, I would say I started drinking daily probably around 10 years ago or so. Shortly after the birth of my daughter, we moved to Hawaii and I was a functioning alcoholic where I had my several glasses of wine and, and it really didn't impact me in a negative way, or at least so I thought until we moved back to Virginia about five years ago. And then the drinking really kind of picked up as the stressors of life continued to mount on. So probably 10 consistent years of heavy drinking. Well, the reason I ask, and I'm sure you know this because I know a lot of recovery programs, most hopefully recovery programs teach this now. And this is good news for you because it wasn't, you were an adult basically and a mother when, when this started for you. But basically what happens, and this is important to understand based on your, regarding your question of like how to move through this really difficult time sober when there are a lot of stuff that's been buried by the alcohol, obviously is going to be front and center now. Because for a lot of people, I would say almost all people who fall into addiction, basically their development their psycho-emotional development gets arrested there, right? So if you started drinking when you were 15 and now you're 30, you are emotionally and psychologically still a 15-year-old. And so that's really important when you're thinking about moving through recovery because the amount of resources psychologically and emotionally that you have, the internal resources, the awareness, the perspective, all of that is frozen in time until you do the work to catch up with yourself. So the fact that you started drinking, I don't know how old you were, in your 20s, let's say, you look pretty young to me. 34. Okay, so you're 24, right? So you're, you are basically an adult, but a much younger adult than you are now. So that's good news, right? Because that means that you were already functioning in the world as an adult when you became temporarily arrested in your development. But 
Can you tell me a little bit about, you don't have to go into tremendous detail and you don't have to go into any detail if you don't want, but what are the core wounds and traumas that the alcohol served to repress you needing to be with? Well, there was some sexual trauma and abuse, and I really have very little recollection of many memories growing up. I do not recall anything, but looking back on my personality and emotional self at my, in my younger years, I, I carried around a lot of weight for a long time, and I'm not quite sure what that is exactly, exactly attributed to, but there was sexual abuse from a family friend. And I I lived in a pretty tense home environment. What age were you when? I I was 15. And I, I did not tell anybody for a couple of years until I found out that that person was marrying somebody with a child around 14. And I brought it up and we went to trial. And that was a pretty traumatic thing to go through. And then that caused, well, I don't want to say it caused, but my parents didn't see eye to eye with what, how it was handled. I mean, my dad, when he found out, drove across state lines and was arrested for having a, a loaded weapon across state lines. He had a felony, lost his job. My parents separated. So the sexual abuse was one trauma, but then what what proceeded was years of of the unraveling of my, my nuclear family at home. And, and it really wasn't talked about in depth, uh, but there was a, a constant tension that surrounded it, and it created a wide array of subsequential. Yeah, and was your mother supportive of you? Both parents were very supportive. I think that she had a lot of resentment towards my father for taking action that affected our entire family, and and I can told absolutely as a parent now, I can understand his mentality. He wasn't a very present father at home, and he was at times verbally abusive, but I never questioned his love for me. And I can only imagine as a father hearing that that news and, and how he would react. And when you moved back from Hawaii, did you move back to your hometown where your family was or and where the abuse happened or were you living somewhere else? No. So this happened in New Jersey where my mom's family is from. I currently live in Virginia Beach. So we did, we're, I'm a Navy family. So we moved to Hawaii, we got stationed in Hawaii and then moved back to Virginia. So fortunately I don't have a whole lot of, I don't go to New Jersey anymore. So you didn't go back to the environment, which is helpful. So it's interesting to me that this happened to you when you were let's say 15, and then you press charges, you said a few years later, right? When you were still pretty young and you went through that whole trauma and then you were okay for several years, it sounds like. I mean, for the most part. Yes, I had a unexpected pregnancy. Oh, I'm sorry. I had an unexpected pregnancy with my husband who, with whom I'm currently separated. And that was almost this gift of a different survival mode where I was able to to dive into an unexpected situation that turned out being, you know, a wonderful miracle in my life. I was 21 when I found out I was pregnant. I had known him for only a couple of weeks at that point. We were in a really rigorous course, became friends very quickly, found out we were pregnant before we were even dating. So it was a few years of having to grow up overnight, take care of this child and 
And for the first few years, we really, we were really a dream team against the odds. We, we sort of built this life, created this life. And uh, before I knew it, when we had established ourselves, it feels like a lot of subconscious things started to surface that was forcing me to go back, turn around and, and heal. And I knew that I, I'd known that I was an alcoholic and unfortunately had to let a few balls in the air drop before I could recognize that I needed help. COVID being one. Join the, join the recovery world. Every single person who's recovered has had to go through that. But I think what's really interesting about what you're saying and important for what you're going through now is that if I understand you correctly, yes, there were some sort of a predisposition to rawness, let's just say, having grown up. My sense is that this is not, I've never met him. I'm not diagnosing him. I'm just using my gut and my experience and my instincts and what you're telling me that your dad is a great guy, but a narcissist, right? So he could be emotionally abusive and reactive and self-absorbed and distant. And when push came to shove and someone hurt one of his own, his children are extension of him. And so of course he's going to be protective and maybe not think through the consequences and maybe not really even care about the consequences because he's just focused on what he needs in that moment full of rage and despair over, and maybe even guilt over the ways he didn't protect his daughter. Now he's going to, right? When you're raised in an environment with that, where there is emotional abuse, you don't learn that it's okay to be with emotion. You're not allowed to have emotions. You're not allowed to have reactions because you kind of have to walk on eggshells, right? So you learn early to repress. It's what helps you survive. You know, not that he would have physically abused you had you spoken back to him or had emotional needs or didn't squelch your feelings, but the way a child's mind thinks, it's so petrifying to be raged at or to be belittled that you're filled with terror. It's as scary to the child who's experiencing emotional abuse as physical abuse is to the child of the same age who's experiencing physical abuse, right? It's just petrifying and terrifying. And so that was kind of your baseline. And then you go through this sexual trauma and you squelch it and repress it and don't tell anyone. And then you see this abuser and you're like, okay, now, which is such a beautiful thing to do and such a brave thing to do, you know, to step up and be like, okay, now the abuser's marrying someone with a kid the same age. Like, I got to say something. And then you finally express <laughs> And then the whole world blows up on you as a result, not by any fault of your own, but still you were the catalyst or your coming forward was the catalyst. Not that that makes it your fault, but the way you were raised, you would have experienced that as your fault. And so then you're in the middle of that and maybe one or two years pass and you're just kind of still repressing, repressing, and then whoop, I'm pregnant. So now I'm going into survival mode and I'm rising to the occasion and I'm in triage, you know, and I'm making it all happen. And then finally, when you finally rest and there's no more distractions and you're no longer in survival mode, and this is what we see time and time again with recovered memories of abuse, they come up at that point when you finally are in a safe place or all those old feelings 
that you are repressing the crap out of, out of habit and in order to survive and in order to just deal with the highest priority of the moment because you got a soldier on, you know, it all starts to come out. And because you didn't have the internal resources, because no one ever taught you and you weren't allowed to develop them in your house or practice them in your house, because you didn't have the internal resources of resilience and self-expression and emotional processing and moving with emotions and exploring emotions, you had no idea what to do with everything coming up. So what do you do? You numb. And then in comes the alcohol. And this is probably sharing a a bit much, but I think that one of the turning points is I work for the military and as we would go on work trips, my drinking uh, escalated. And back in 2019, after seven years of marriage, there was a drunken infidelity on my end that I didn't even recall. And so not only did the things that I was numbing cause my own pain, but it also created hell for my husband. And now he's in the, in the midst of his own, I think, wounded child. And I'm not so sure that he's ready or willing to address that head on because I'm, I'm still sort of the villain. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I, I accept that it didn't happen in the vacuum. But what my, I, one question I do have for you, because this is something that I feel very shameful about, is that when I, I woke up the morning after and could put two and two together that I had had an affair on my husband, I was absolutely mortified and all of the things. And this within the same 24 hours, something clicked where I felt euphoric and I didn't care anymore. And it, I, it was exciting. And I, I let it continue for the rest of the duration of my trip without care about what devastation it would cause. And I mean, this is a, a three, four year going on four year story now, but I don't understand my psychology of having inflicted so much pain and terrible choices on a family that I built from the ground up. And I still to this day can't articulate what was going on in my body and mind. I've never had a very close connection with my body. You went on a binge. That's all that happened. You went on a binge. Replace the sex you had with that person with alcohol in your mind. That's what you did. You're like, fuck it. I've already had four drinks after being sober for so long. I mean, I know it was a lot worse than that, but just as a metaphor, follow me, work with me for a second, right? Like, let's say right now, today or whatever, or someone who's in recovery and has been really working their recovery and sober for a while, and then something happens and they just have a weak moment and they have a drink and then another drink and now they're buzzed and they're full of self-loathing and disgusted with themselves. I'm not saying they deserve that. That's just what the addict does. And then they say, well, fuck it. Bring on the Coke. Where's the next bar? Who's with me? Like, just fuck it. I'm already here. I'm an asshole. I'm a loser. What's the point? And they just move into full-on self-sabotage. And there's freedom in that. Because now, once you say, forget it, it's a false freedom. It's a freedom you pay for later. 
right? But in that moment, you're like, I'm already so fucked up. Instead of trying to like beat up on myself and try to pull this back from the brink and undo it, which I can't do, screw it. My life's over anyway, right? So I might as well. And you were probably also drunk when you made that decision. And you continued to be drunk the entire time you kept making that decision for the rest of the trip, right? It wasn't like you had days of sobriety where you were slow dancing with this affair, you know, and enjoying, like you were wasted most of the time. And then you just, after that, maybe for the times you weren't wasted, you were unconscious in a different way. You were disassociated, right? Because what's the point? So, I mean, I only offer that as a point of explanation because I know that it puzzles you why you did that, right? But it makes total sense to me that you did that because it's typical addict behavior. Yes. And I'm, I'm at a point now where I've, I've had such a, a non-existent relationship, meaningful relationship with my body and learning how to get my body to trust the mm-hmm. spirit, like everything else. And I'm, that's a struggle, which I guess is to be expected. You disassociated from your body really early in life. The sexual trauma was, in my mind, and, I, you know, once again, this is just um, an offering. Obviously, I don't know all the facts, but the sexual abuse was both a symptom of your, dis, you know, of your family's entire dysfunction, right? Nobody was watching. Somebody was able to get in there and groom you because you didn't feel the support and love that you should have felt, you know, all of that, right? that the secrecy, the feeling that you couldn't tell until you had to tell, like all of that. And the fact that you were raised in an emotionally abusive environment and that that was allowed to go on, all of that made you from probably, I would say, you know, a very early age just to survive. A child does not emotionally survive their childhood like that unless they just start disassociating. So when most the it's one of the best and most destructive skills we have. It's one of the best because it's the way that we survive these times. Otherwise, we wouldn't survive them. But it's a problem because then when you're ready to come back to life, you have to learn how to come back to yourself, right? So my my guess is that you started disassociating super early in life, and it's a really familiar and comfortable and normal place for you to be. And then the sexual abuse, like put a to the third or fourth degree, right? Like once the sexual abuse happens, then there's even more disassociation. And then instead of coming back to your body, which is too scary and painful to do if you don't know how to do it and you don't have support, you start numbing out. And now you're finally done with all, 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 all of that. And now it's time to come back to your body. And so what kind of therapy are you in for all of this? Um, I'm on a couple of waiting lists. I was in therapy um, and then left for rehab. And then when I got back, I'm not in, I'm not currently enrolled with a therapy. I am in a couple of waiting lists. But I, I in working for the military, I do have resources at the command that yeah. I work at that I've been taking advantage of Bible study, just trying to get my hands on any material podcast conversation. Are you on a waiting list because of financial reasons or because of those are the people that take sliding scale or your insurance? Or are you on a waiting list because supposedly those are the people that you most need to see? I can recognize that if it was a priority of mine, I'd be in rehab (laughs) or I'd be in counseling right now. I, I am on, I went to try to find the most reputable places in the area and I haven't 
I haven't been persistent. Uh, so you did the, <laughs> what my husband calls the bureaucratic move. I do that yeah. too, where I'm like, okay, I'll just send an email. I, you know, I didn't really follow through, you know, oh, this is the best place in town. Oh, you have a waiting list. Okay. Put me on the waiting list. Done. Yeah. I've taken care. I can't do anything about it. Sorry. Right. It's like the red tape. You make your own red tape. So that's what you need, my friend. And I would say, forget the most rep. I mean, yes, obviously go to a reputable place, but, <laughs> but I would say what you need because your shutting down started so early and there's lots of layers to it that you need somatic experiencing. And if you listen to this show, you've heard me talk about it a lot. Yeah. And so if you go to traumahealing.org, you'll be able to find a somatic experiencing therapist in your area. It's like, honestly, one of the very best forms of therapy and healing for trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma, physical trauma, and even just not for trauma. I'm pretty much every one of us who tends not to be in our bodies experience trauma of one sort or another but it's epidemic. I mean, most of us aren't in our bodies and we numb out. If it's not with alcohol or drugs, it's with social media or shopping or gossiping or whatever. You know, we all numb out to not be with ourselves. Some of us, if we're predisposed to addiction, if it goes too far, then we fall into, you know, the physiological and emotional addiction realm. But listen, we're all either a soft or hard addict at heart. So you have to do that work or A, to learn how to come back to your body, B, to make it tolerable to be in your body, C, to learn for the first time in your 30s, and it, you know, I would say I learned around the same time in my life, how to experience emotions in a healthy way and how to have the literal experience of seeing that I can go all the way into the belly of the beast of my pain and feel it in a safe and held environment, and it will not take me over. In fact, the opposite. It will introduce me to grace. That's what happens. And after that 10 to 15 minutes, now feel lighter and clearer and more peaceful and more connected and like I'm literally in my body. Like you've never felt what it feels like to be in your body. And the few moments of whatever day you're in your body, it's painful. So this is a long way of saying nothing's going to get better for you until you do that. Every day feels like a, one of those awkward first dates with my body where we're making just small talk and it feels inauthentic. And I, 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 I do need to put more effort into getting that clinical help. Because I, if I could do it my own, I would have been able to do it by now. It's out of my pay grade. And no way um, in hell you can do this. Zero chance. And who the hell, are, what the hell are you saying that for as a recovered addict of a year and a half that you can do that, that you're even thinking you can do it on your own? You already know you can't do this on your own. You've learned that through recovery, haven't you? Have you did you do your recovery on your own? No, I went through a 42-day in-process inpatient program, wonderful program called Warrior's Heart in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And you go to meetings. Not that I needed a fence because again, if it was a priority, it would have happened. But I, as soon as I got home from rehab, I found out my husband had an affair of his own and moved her in with her son. And I, 
So the holidays were going on. I'm a single mom and I'm just doing my best to stay above water and take care of the kids. And that is an excuse of, of why I haven't, haven't pursued it, but it should be number one on my list because if I'm not. Yeah. Cause not just forget you, like, obviously you're someone who easily forgets yourself. So let's forget you for a minute in this and just think about your kid and your friends and the people you care about, but even just your kid, you are accidentally communicating and teaching her how to do what you do to stay out of your body. A. B. You aren't fully present with her even when you're with her if you're not in your body. C. All the little ways in which you're experiencing anxiety, grief, pain, fear, loss that are bubbling up in you all the time, she is feeling because that's what you, you know, I don't know if you can remember, but you felt that's what kids do. They are like hyper empaths. And so when you heal yourself, forget you and the benefits to you, you are giving her a completely different life. You're teaching her and modeling for her resilience taking responsibility for your emotional health, not just your physical health or your addiction health, but your emotional health. Modeling for her, right? Like I have done with my kids as I went on this journey, like they would see me or I would say, okay, I got to go release some emotion now. I'll see you later. I'm feeling really agitated. Like just in these small ways, I know it's changed their lives because it is normalized for them healthy emotional release and processing looks like. Because if you don't do that, it goes somewhere. It goes one of two places or both. It either goes into illness in your body, inflammatory diseases and chronic diseases. It transmutes to that, that all that stuff you're not facing and dealing with. Or it comes out in an outburst or in an irrational reaction or in a not being able to get out of bed for 24 hours or not being able to make it to her dance recital because you're stuck in the car bawling your eyes out, right? Like there's all these different ways in which it comes out in a destructive way toward her. As most of you know, for the past several years, I've been on a pretty intense grief journey and it's been a path of healing. I've shared lots of that healing with you and lots of the healing resources that I found. And I am so thrilled to announce that I am doing my first ever retreat for grieving mamas. So if you or someone you love is a mama who has lost a child in any way, at any stage, at any age, I would love for you to come join me at 1440 Multiversity in the Redwoods near Santa Cruz, California for four amazing days of beautiful, uplifting community and healing. We've got David Kessler. We've got Paul Selig. We've got Catherine Woodward Thomas. We've got me. We've got body work. We've got organic food, beautiful rooms. Go to 1440.org. Check it out. It's right there on the homepage. I really hope you can join us. So if your motivation to go and get help is only for your daughter, if that is what you need because you don't have enough love for yourself yet to do it for yourself, do it for her. Right. And, and my kids are, that's a hundred percent true. And just yesterday it, I have, I have a somewhat of an inside joke with the kids where, you know, when we're having to process a difficult emotion, I always ask them if they would like to have a doula present 
or if they need to, if they would like to go through the labor alone, but signifying to the kids and obviously in an age appropriate way that I'm dealing with a difficult emotion. It could be from traffic. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything significant. And then talking them through what it's feeling like as I allow it to process That's good. and to, to exit because I don't want them to, I, I spent my entire life being told or at least implicitly that you got to keep it inside. You got to keep it inside. And my, my, I have a 10 year old daughter and a seven year old son who are both very sensitive people. And it's been incredible. It is not their job to help me heal. However, it's been very helpful to have them around to, to, as a, as an hourly reminder that I have two young kids that I'm writing on the slate of and and how they are witnessing me deal with challenging emotions is going to either contribute to their toolbox or it's going to give them an additional thing that they're going to have to process later on in life. And I'll be damned if I'm one thing that they have to heal from. Absolutely. And, and not only can you not, can you be one more thing that they don't have to heal from, but you can be a path to skills and tools, like you said, and a lesson that it's okay to ask for help. And who are the helpers? Find the helpers, as Mr. Rogers, you know, would say, right? Like there are so many helpers, find the helpers. And you have to do that for yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. And do it for your kids, do it for the little girl in you who was never properly supported. But I can absolutely unequivocally 100% promise you, you cannot get through what you've been through and heal without help, without the help of someone who really understands trauma and who can help you come back to yourself, come home to yourself and feel safe there. And when you do, then that's when things get really juicy and really a hundred times easier. And the traffic jams and the crises, while you feel them, are held so much more lightly. And there's so much more room for play and joy and expansion and exploration. And the good news is and, you know, I talk about this in uh, my newest book, in the, in the book, You're Not Crazy, You're Just Ascending. But there's so much amazing, and you're ascending. I mean, that's what healing is. It's an ascension. There's so much high-frequency energy on the earth right now, just from the astrological stuff and the solar flares and the way the poles have shifted and the core of the earth has changed directions. And there's so many things that they've been able to, monitor that the electromagnetic field and the frequency of the earth is actually increased. Now, the reason that's relevant to this conversation is because these high energetic frequencies are so conducive to healing because they are pulling you to a higher, healthier place. But in order to get there, so normally we have to kind of move ourselves up, right? And we release pain and and trauma and toxic thinking and old patterns and we get lighter and we rise, but we kind of have to intentionally like do that. We are now being like pulled up. And so the tide is so supportive of healing right now. What would have taken, and I'm seeing this even my, in my work with people, what would have taken six months, let's say now takes two or three. It's like everything's been supercharged. 
So this is such a beautiful time and such an amazing opportunity to take advantage of when you dive into your healing because it will be supercharged. It is. And it's so interesting to see whether it's commercials, advertising, everything is is based on trying to get you to take the exit, the detour before you get to that. If you're feeling discomfort of any any type, that's that normal. Yeah. Fix it. And and I've subscribed to that for so long where something is inherently wrong with me. I've got to numb, I've got to whack-a-mole this because everything is telling me I don't need to live like this. There's an easy button and I'm realizing because I'm the queen of back roads, I'm the queen of shortcuts. And there is no shortcut to going through the pain. And the journey is a lot longer than I was expecting it to be. And I'm accepting of the fact that there's no period at the end of the sentence. You don't, you don't reach healing and then it's, you know, awesome. It would be (laughs) incredible. You do do reach a, a, in someone in your situation, right. Or someone who's in a lot of pain or has experienced a lot of pain that's still playing out in their lives and in unhealthy ways, you do reach a tipping point of healing, right? So just taking me for instance, I did for years and have done intensive healing work and trauma work and have come to a place where, you know, I don't really get triggered easily or at all. I can, I'm extremely resilient. I can deal with horrible things happening and, you know, be able to move through them with grace. And all of a sudden, a whole new layer of the onion will come up to be peeled away. And I'll all of a sudden recover like a crazy, toxic, horrific trauma memory, because it's almost like my system knows, all right, you're cool. You're, you're really in a solid place. You can be peaceful like we were talking about. Oh, okay. So it's time for the unconscious to unwrap another little present for you. Right. And then, but now I'm fortified right now. I can move through that thing with the knowledge and the experience that A, I can do it. B, I know how to do it. And C, it's not going to last forever. And D, when I come out the other end, I'm going to be even stronger and more healed than I am today. And then after a while, another freaking layer of the onion will be ready to be peeled away. Welcome to life. Until we die, we're healing. But the good news is that you don't feel like you're feeling now for the rest of your life. Right. You feel better and better and better. And it gets better and better and better. Not necessarily in, an, in like in a graph where the line goes smoothly up. And, you know, you take a couple of dips. But if you look at the whole trajectory, you're going up and up and up. Absolutely. And as we're talking in the back of my mind, I do question why, why isn't it that I haven't prioritized getting back into a regular routine? And I think part of it is that there's fear around if my identity has been surrounded by pain, I'm a little bit nervous to mourn the loss. That's the only self I know. And as much of, so what you as much of a hell as it's been, it's the only me that I have really known for a long time and so there's a grief process and and not knowing who I'm meeting on the other side and and the loss of ego that that's painful too yeah well you definitely won't lose your ego no I'm not in any I'm not in any danger of that I've got plenty to go around I'm not saying that because you haven't plenty but I mean none of us will lose our ego but what you're talking about there is some grief in there but really what it is 
is fear, right? It's, it's in a general sense, it's staying with the devil, you know, rather than the devil you don't know, right? It's like, I don't even have a clue. I can't even conceptualize who I am without this pain. That's in a distance I can't see. And I'm so filled with anxiety as my set point, as my baseline, that I try to fix, manage, and control and predict everything. And so if I can't predict it, I'm going to avoid it. If I can't see the outcome and control the outcome, even though you can't freaking control everything, anything, but like pretend to myself that I can control the outcome, I'm not going to do it. Right. And that's what you're running into now. There may be some grief. And I think the grief is really that little girl's grief of what was taken from her and that teenager's grief of what was taken from her. You know, there's many versions of you. There's one that's three. There's one that's well, there's definitely one that's 15, but there's several in between like seven. There's all of these moments where you just stayed frozen in a shock bubble like we do when we're traumatized. And those parts of you are grieving because they were not protected. They were not taken care of. They were not honored in the way they are. They don't feel safe. They weren't allowed to have a childhood. They weren't allowed to be carefree. They weren't, no one was watching out for them. No one cared about them. No one saw them. Like there's so much grief there that will come out just without thought. Like you're very smart. So it's almost dangerous for you to do talk therapy because you'll just talk around everything and you won't, it'll keep you out of your body. So that's why I want you to do the somatic experiencing instead, because you can talk yourself into or out of things, right? You've been sober for a year and a half. That's a sign to me that you are strong when it comes to motivation and self-motivation, when you can see the outcome and you know the goal in mind and you can systematically, you know, like you can do that really well. I did years of therapy, even while I was drinking, and it would turn into, well, how are you feeling about the things that I'm feeling? It's great to be cerebral about certain things, but I'm a, a, it's a defense. novice at understanding my body. I have, so you're absolutely correct that, you know, the therapy, although it was beneficial in some ways, I kept hitting a brick wall, trying to intellectualize what you can't transcendent word. So there may be some grief and it is very natural to have fear, but I can promise you that if you do this work and you come home to yourself, you are going to finally realize how worthy of love you really are for the first time in your whole freaking life. Really understand it. And you'll be able to access a higher level of spiritual connection and insight and information you'll be happier, you'll be more peaceful, you'll be more fun to be around, you'll be more engaged in the world around you, you'll physically feel more pleasure in your senses. It's going to be fun on the other side. We may not know exactly what she looks like or what she wants to do or who she's going to be or how, you know, but it's going to be fun. Not perfect, but a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it because any direction is, and I've noticed even the, the smallest shift in, in direction, you look back and it might be an a, a insignificant degree, but you can end up miles and miles away of, of, from where you were headed in the first place. So I'm starting to see those shifts and really anchor into that small progress because I love immediate, just like everybody, I love immediate gratification and I love to do the things and I'm like, this is, this is 
a pot roast. I can't expect to put it in the microwave and to have a delicious dinner. It's going to require a lot of time and I cannot think my way through this. No, you can't think, you can't strategize and you can't intellectualize your way through this. But I will say that somatic experiencing in general, but especially during these times that I described, works pretty fast. So you're going to feel relief pretty quickly. And then you're going to start getting to the, just to give you a warning, because I I understand your personality now, then you're going to get to a point where you're feeling good and you're going to want to stop going because you're like, why do I want to go in there and then go into my body and feel the shit when I'm having a great week and I've been feeling really good and I don't want to go there. That is a sign you really got to go. As long as your tendency is to not feel the hard feelings, if you can get away with it, you need to be in somatic experiencing. I mean, you need to be in it now either way, but down the road when things start to get better, as long as you are wanting to avoid those feelings, you still need it. I'm just telling you that in advance because I think you're going to want to stop. No, and that's going to be the first thing on my to-do list. I don't know if maybe it's because I wasn't looking for that route, but it doesn't seem to be a widely advertised Oh, it's not aspect of of healing because I have been dragging this because I've been doing therapy for the years and years and I I didn't feel like I was making a whole lot of headway yeah. but the somatic experience I think that is what's going to make the biggest difference because that's the issue that I'm facing yeah reintegration yeah. and and having my body trust me again yes and you trust your body the two of you are going to build a relationship and. There is, I mean, I'm a talking therapist, or as my kid called, my kids used to call me when they were little, a talking doctor. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy, but it only will take you so far. And then you have to start doing the somatic piece. And I'm doing more and more. I mean, I find myself doing more somatic experiencing with people than talking because I just find it so helpful and quick and powerful. But it's both, right? So you've already done the talk therapy right? You, you, you can understand everything intellectually. You, you, you get it, right? There might be a few insights and there will continue to be insights and awarenesses and connections made down, you know, as you continue your journey forever. But this is the time to do that work now. So you'll definitely be able to find someone and, and they do work remotely as well, like via Zoom or whatever, if you don't have one in the town, but pretty much every town and certainly every city has an array of somatic experiencing therapists. And I honestly think since you're in the military and I'll get on my soapbox for a minute, the military supports EMDR, which is, you know, pretty helpful. Although I don't know, I feel like it's there because there've been studies on it and it is helpful to an extent. I mean, it rewires your brain a little bit, but it's more often tends to be used as a band-aid. It doesn't really fully help you get to the core healing. And the other is cognitive or, or behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy. And those are extremely intellectual, right? Like, how are you thinking about things? Can you reframe your thoughts, right? But I do not see the military doing exp- so far somatic experiencing and they need it more than any of us need it all the PTSD. We have our annual suicide training that we got to get done on the computer. It's, it's very systematic. And I know that everybody's doing their best. It's and certainly not a knock on them. But you're right. I think that we're limited with the amount of resources, at least helpful resources anyway. And I, I at EMDR was provided at um, the rehab that I was at 
very fortunate. I didn't see a whole lot of benefit for that. First, she said, you know, you, you have to have a happy place in mind that you can come back to at the end of. And I said, I don't, I can't think of a happy place. <laughs> I, everything, every at, well, at that point, everything was making me feel anxious. But yes, I think that is my next number one priority is to get into some somatic healing and to learn the language of my body so that I can better communicate back and forth with it. Yeah. Because what I'm saying yeah. right now, it, it, there's just a barrier or communication barrier. And you'll learn how to do it. And then your default will still be to slide back. I mean, I just had a major surgery. I went into total disassociation and it completely abandoned my body because I was pissed at her for opening the wound and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was traumatized. So I just went, whoop, left the building. And as soon as I realized that and how mean I was being to my body, how pissed I was at it and how pun like how in my mind I wasn't physically doing punishing things to my body, but I was furious with it. I caught myself. I shifted. I moved back into my body. I, you know, I now like you just, you'll keep, it'll keep happening, but it'll happen less and less and you'll get stronger and clearer. So I'm excited. I'm excited for your journey. I think it's going to be, I think you're ripe for it. I think you're ready for it. And I think it's really going to bring you the final mile in your healing. And then once you do that, everything else will start to become so much clearer because you won't be trying to manage or run away from things. You'll be able to see things with more clarity and more proactively than reactively. That makes sense. In your relationship with your ex or your separated husband or with your kids and with your work and with everyone else. So check out traumahealing.org is the sort of the national website and they have a find a practitioner tab where you can find someone in your town and keep us posted on how you oh i absolutely will i absolutely will all right good luck to you 